recording uh, on mute. God, the mighty, mighty Boston's have fallen to the woke mob. <laughs> it's a dark day in Boston history. They're from Boston, right? That's why they called that. I think, yeah, that's why they called the Boston's. Okay. Right, Alex? Well, the thing is, no one knows. No one knows where they're from. And that's a lot <laughs> really? of the appeal. No, no, that's that's made up. I don't yeah, know. I they're just a said Boston, it on the radio. They're a Boston ska band. I don't know. I'll have to look into that more, but I'm loving this new song. Does any band ever quit like making music? Like (laughs) this thing with the Eve Six guy, they're just still playing. You know, it's funny, but it uh, raises this question: like, does people? Does it ever? Do they have to keep playing live music to like make money? Is that what's going on? Because like, I didn't. The Mighty Mighty Boston's are like from 20 years ago at least. 30. Um, well, here's the thing, Jake. If everybody's going to make a George Floyd song, you don't want to be the one band not making a George Floyd song because then it's kind of like, what aren't you saying about George Floyd, you know? Yeah, about Georgie, our pal Georgie. <laughs> they call him Georgie. Georgie. <laughs> Good Lord. That's Boston slang. It's a, <laughs> it's a term of endearment in Boston for people named George. <laughs> There's no, only, the only Boston slang is slurs. So I'm assuming <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> I just love like first of all this is a very late entry for a George Floyd protest. Song. Yeah, that was a year ago. <laughs> I think they I you know what I bet they wrote it a year ago and then the record label was like, "You know what? Why don't we wait until show Let's wait till this cools down." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If anyone listening hasn't seen the video, I implore you, please look it up and watch because it's very visual. It's just one guy in a black suit skanking across, I guess, Boston. Call it what it is. He's skanking. He's skanking for equality. And then there's like the words, the lyrics of the video are written across these brick walls that he's skanking past. So it's like, Georgie, they took your breath away. <laughs> Which is. I just love It's so late. And then. <laughs> It like it has this energy of like, well, we want to put out a song everybody's gonna like, and they're just like calling him nicknames, and everyone's skanking across Boston. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're they're actually gonna do a, a team up album with uh, David Guetta. Yeah, collabo George Fl- Guebo, whatever his name is. Guilla. Wow, Mighty, Mighty Boston's collabo. Can you imagine what that would sound like? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever made ska techno before? It's never been. It can't be done. Yeah, as <laughs> you're like dividing by zero or something. Yeah. Philosophers say it cannot be done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so apparently they were on hiatus from 04 to 06 and then reunited in 2007 and have been back together ever since. Like there are hundreds, not thousands of bands who have split up and, you know, formed and broken up again and again in that time since 2007 that they have reunited as a band and being gone on that reunion thing. So uh, they're way past their due. I'm, I'm shocked that they're still doing it. I, think I look if, forward to their Israel-Palestine song, which will come out in two years. 
Oh, yeah. How's that one go? Uh, <laughs> it's a complicated scenario, <laughs> and you can't really claim either side. And Greta Never had right to exist. There you go. <laughs> but I leave you feeling dished. You're doing if woke, Al. you get me Al. feeling pissed. Yeah. Get it? Oh, woke? Those are really good rhymes, Anders. Al, where you woke up a song by changing the lyrics. Okay, so um <laughs> wait, so this is interesting cuz it's uh, this came out today and it was very funny and stuff, but like I, someone told me that um that their song never had to knock on wood was like about AIDS. So I guess they just make music like this all the time. Yeah, that yeah. for whatever reason we talked about this like 10 minutes on balling out this week, but oh. uh yeah, what a subtle song about AIDS. <laughs> they went the re- really the other direction for the George Floyd song. Why didn't that explicit. was about? I remember thinking it was about drugs as a kid, and then I asked like a friend of mine who was really, really into ska, and he was like, "It's about trying things that you're scared of, man. It's about, it's about true. not challenging yourself and being scared of life." Oh, getting AIDS is a challenge for many people. Well, as we're going to learn in our interview today, we are AIDS, according to some people. So that's cool. That will make sense later. Why didn't they make a song about COVID? Because COVID also a pan- yeah. You know what? I haven't, yeah, heard, we haven't the album. heard the album. We can't say Jake. There's like a Doctor Fauci song, which in the video is just skanking Fauci. All right, hold on. I'm on board. That sounds fucking cool. He's a fan. He's a Boston's guy. You know what? Music can be fun. Fauci is a rude boy. That's what I think. Honestly, maybe Fauci is referenced in uh, what Knock on Wood or what was the title of the song? I don't remember, but because he was <laughs> the he impression was, that I get, the impression that I get, because he was uh, a heart in a, the blender song. Also in the CDC, he had like the same job basically during the AIDS crisis. Yeah, there's so a, maybe they reference him in there. Fauci's hilarious because there's a documentary called How to Survive a Plague that's about yeah. uh, him overseeing the fucking AIDS crisis, and it's it's not it doesn't focus on him like he's the the main character necessarily, but it, he's heavily involved in it. And it's very funny if you watch it because you really realize that he's like a tragic figure in that back then he was, he fucked that up by not like treating it with the, the gravity that was required. And everyone back then in the government was just like, ah, that's just fucking New York queers or whatever. Right. They laughed at, like there was a press conference with one of the Reagan dudes and they asked him about it. And like the journalists couldn't even keep it together. They're all just laughing and laughing like, do you have it? <laughs> yeah. Pathetic. It's fucking stupid. And uh, but now, <laughs> like during the covid thing, it's like he's like went to hell and it's that type of hell where the devil gives you like an exact punishment according to what you did in your life or whatever or like a saw scenario or something because he's like at the beginning of the pandemic a year ago he was like it's real I swear it's real and like no one would listen to him it's really funny we should make a a ska concept album about Dr. Fauci I'm on it do you know I'll play sax I'm learning the trombone. It will take four to six years and we will be ready for a Dr. Fauci song. The uh, That's a tradition in Scott. There's a Catch-22 uh, concept album about the life of Leon Trotsky. Oh, nice. It's really weird. Okay. It's like apolitical. 
<laughs> they just yeah. It's just about how good he was at fucking. I mean, there's a bunch of people who are just fascinated by Leon Trotsky because he's a fascinating guy and don't. He's really cool. Have a, yeah. yeah, he's a weirdo. He was the first one to have like glasses, but be like, I still kill people with a right. gun. Sometimes I have a leather jacket and uh, and glasses. Yeah. Don't just assume because of my glasses that I won't form the Red Army. Yeah. Don't just assume I'm not tough because I look like, uh, who's that actor? Barton Fink, the guy who played the Jesus. Oh, yeah, the actor, Barton Turturro. Oh, he should play Trotsky. Dude, he totally should. He also looks like Gabe Pacheco. Also, it's true. So many people. They're actually, there's a Netflix series from Russian television. I don't think it's the network I work for, so I can shit on it, but, uh, it's on Netflix. They made a series about Trotsky, and the first episode's really good. And then you realize the agenda behind it. It's it's extremely anti. The anti Trotsky agenda. They're yeah. always trying to come for our trots. Right. Um, mm. Stop eating my trots. It's Napoleon Dynamite. All right, I'm done oh. with that bit. Um, <laughs> oh, also speaking of uh, him and things that frame him certain ways, remember when we read the book The Young Stalin for the show? Uh-huh. Yes. Something they mentioned in there is that he escaped from Siberia on a reindeer one time, which I think is really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. God. So sick. All a right. whole fleet or just one? I don't know. It would say. be cool if he was like straight up Santa Claus and he was <laughs> he had them all dragging a sled. But I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to read more. The knowledge isn't there. We'll have to go back and do a Trotsky episode. Yeah. But this yeah. week we're talking about something uh much more depressing and not fun. <laughs> this yeah, this would be you can't you can't even liven this up with the bright Horn section of a ska band. This shit is fucked Just up, watch. yo. Just you wait. <laughs> Mighty Mighty Boss Stones will find a way. <laughs> yeah. Give them time. Yeah. Um. <sighs> I can see Andrew Yang doing like doing dancing to ska music when someone tries to ask him about Israel, Palestine. If like there was to get out of it, he's just like. If he was know. running for mayor of a community. Or of a, a city where there was a like a community that culturally ska music was part of it, like Boston, maybe Boston. Let's just say when he runs for mayor of Boston, that run? will be something we'll be covering. Yeah, <laughs> when this doesn't work out because he blew it on the Israel question and then has to run for Boston and is like, I love Dunkin' or whatever he's up to over there. Yeah, I love Dunkin' Donuts, and then he starts playing the George Floyd song and skanking and going like, look, I learned about police and stuff. <sighs> okay, well. Let's talk about Israel and Palestine with our guest, Abby Martin. Lock them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Okay. 
do a bonus episode about this. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's start. We are now joined by creator of the Empire Files, a podcaster at Media Roots News, filmmaker of the documentary Gaza Fights for Freedom, which you can watch on Means TV, our pals over there. Abby Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Good to have you. Uh, I imagine you're in high demand this week um, because everyone's losing their goddamn minds. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed feelings about that? (laughs) Yeah, shit's really popped off. Um, Okay, so obviously we're going to talk about what's happening in Israel slash Palestine this uh, week. The... The country that is two countries or whatever. Um, two great tastes. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Gogurt or something. So, <laughs> basically, uh, we're a show for idiots, so we're going to start off real basic. <laughs> Can you walk us through the basic events that led up to like what is happening this week with um, riots and with the, the evictions and everything like that? Like, wh- Where would this start? Absolutely. So it started in 1948. No, no we're not kidding. going there. Uh, no, 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 just Started with the Bible. No, just kidding. Um, but, but on a side note, really quickly, Gaza Fights for Freedom is actually free on YouTube right now. You can check oh, yeah. out our Empire Files YouTube channel oh, and cool. watch it there. So it's also available on Means TV, and then Arabic and Spanish subtitles are available on Vimeo. So um, the current situation, of course, began. Um, people may have seen that hashtag going around: Save Sheikh Jara. It's a neighborhood in East Jerusalem, which is under brutal and illegal military occupation. So just like the West Bank, which has been atomized by illegal settlements, and all of those are illegal under international law, East Jerusalem is also under Israeli military law. So you can't hold a flag, you can't pass out political literature, you can't like convene in groups of 10 or more. All these things are are illegal and um, subject you to arrest um, and put into like Israeli military prisons. So all of that in mind, it is very brave that people are even protesting what's going on. Um, about two weeks ago or so, we saw armed extremist settlers going through the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah and actually violently expelling people from their homes. So taking people's belongings, throwing them out of the homes. You know, people are screaming. They're pulling people out and taking over their homes and forcefully ejecting them. Uh, They have been kind of waiting for a green light to do this. Uh, The West Bank, we see people do this every day. Homes are demolished. Uh, Israeli settlers who are armed and extreme go and seize homes, you know, move on top of Arab villages, and then they're provided political cover from Israeli soldiers. This is a little bit more extreme because it's just in the middle of a city. You know, it's not just out in these kind of expansive villages and stuff like that. And so... A lot of these extremist settlers have just been waiting for their moment. They've been trying to fight through the courts to expel these last families that remain in these homes. And they finally just did it, right? And they came out a thousand strong chanting death to Arabs and going on this rampage. Palestinians protested in response, which is illegal. You can't protest if you're a Palestinian living under this rule. And so IDF soldiers came brutalizing, you know, violently oppressing the protests this all led to Al-Aqsa Mosque. You know, if you're in Jerusalem, a lot of these holy sites are all right next to each other. You have the Wailing Wall, you have Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is one of the most ancient mosques or, you know, 
in, in the world. I mean, this is uh, an architecture that is 100 years older than the Notre Dame Cathedral. Remember, all the historians were crying and throwing tens of millions of dollars when that was on fire. Well, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is the third holiest site in Islam. And you had worshipers there during Ramadan praying, hundreds of them, and Israeli soldiers came in, raided the mosque, threw stun grenades and smoke bombs, and sent hundreds of these people to the hospital, and then gassed the hospital, which is a war crime. Um, and they justified it by saying that there were people outside throwing rocks at them. So then you see, um, and there's several different organizations that are involved in this um, that I know you wanted to talk about too, but like then you saw just 10,000 10, people or so like chanting outside of Alaska Mosque while it burns chanting death to Arabs and burn their memory. And I want to just like pose to people how just ludicrous this is if you compare it to like any other people's like, you know, Trump and his supporters are so offensive to liberal sensibilities here in the US. Imagine if an armed extremist mob of Trump supporters was raiding uh, an Hamilton. immigrant community in Texas, violently expelling them from their homes and taking them over by force. What would the media be saying about that? Or imagine if armed Muslim extremists went and raided an ancient synagogue and chanting death to Jews. Yeah. I mean, it's just so cartoonishly over the top that it just really exposes just the sheer hypocrisy of the U.S. media of just how blatantly they cover for the Israeli government no matter what. And so, of course, Hamas, which is the governing party of the Gaza Strip, was issuing a warning saying, if you continue this violent offense in Jerusalem, we will respond with rockets. And they did. And Israel issued a wildly, dis wildly disproportionate response, as they always do, and started targeting Hamas members' homes, residential homes and neighborhoods, with their entire family sleeping inside and bombing the fuck out of them and killing entire families. Yeah, the... So that's what we saw happen. The, like, the propaganda is always kind of the most fascinating thing to me because, like, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good point. It's very ironic given that our own country is so much so much of it is filled with like people who just like buy guns all day and then fantasize about what if the government broke into my house i would go so fucking crazy you know and uh imagining this oppression but somehow can't f like recontextualize and see that that is basically what is happening to palestinians um uh, oh yeah like the stand your ground fanatics yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, I don't know. We'll get into this later, but I just I'm really fascinated by like the the way that the selling it kind of works with like you know the victimization of uh, the actual oppressor or whatever. But um, well, yeah. go ahead, go ahead, Anders. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just like like that's the strangest thing. It's it's the justification. So much so much of it comes from hypothetical deaths, like uh, Israelis and the U.S. media will say, well, you, you can't really look at the body count. Because hypothetically, if they could, uh, the Palestinians supposedly would kill every Israeli Jew, which uh, it's just, you know, that could mean you could take that in any direction. Like what? Like that's like the O.J. Simpson trial. Them saying like, well, if Nicole Brown Simpson uh, had O.J. in a uh, in a body ca cast, she would have uh, smothered him to death or some some like thing that just is completely unrelated to the actual reality of the situation uh, that doesn't apply in any other context. 
Yeah. Super fascinating point. Yeah, it's all based on a hypothetical scenario to just carry out ongoing war crimes. Like when you hear Israel's the right to self-defense, it really just means Israel has the blanket right to just commit atrocities. Yeah. Um, in in uh, the interviews you did in Gaza Fights for Freedom, somebody's bringing up this point, and they're talking about how like the children in Palestine are like, killed in like the thousands and somehow it's a footnote in history, you know, but if like one Israeli person, you know, turns an ankle or something because somebody threw a rock at them, it's like this international crisis is, you know, it's, it's a very hypocritical, obviously to us, but um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just fascinated with how the other side of this sees this. Um, I mean, I think it's such a deep levels of deep seated racism and dehumanization of brown people. Um, that's the only way that I could really wrap my mind around it. I mean, the fact that like a million dead Iraqis is just like a drop in the bucket and people are like, well, that the Iraq war was bad. It's like, do you really like under, can you like take stock at the loss of human fucking life and like understand what that means? I mean, it's the same kind of thing here. It's like, just because Palestinians are brown and they're depicted as, you know, like, like basically so dehumanized that they actually like when their children die. That's what Netanyahu says, is that they want their children to pile up with dead bodies of kids to be telegenically dead so they can just have the more dead, the better for their cause. I mean, can you imagine dehumanizing people in such a way that they actually want their kids to die? Yeah. It, you know, it reminds me of, I, I think I just have Iraq war on the brain right now because of, uh, I don't know, all these, uh, for some reason, there's just an echo happening culturally right now. But um, I mean, when I was growing up, I had friends that went off to fight in Iraq and like you know they're just kids so they're idiots so they're easily indoctrinated and I remember the way that they would talk about the people that they were killing was it just it's really similar it, it, I really I was thinking about it a lot when I was watching your documentary and there's that part where there's footage of the sniper and the way he's like joking about the kid that he's like he's like picking which person to assassinate with his like sniper rifle or whatever um I don't know. Truly scary stuff. But uh, let's talk a little bit more. Can I ask a, just yes. a uh, basic question? Um, no. So this is just for further elaboration because, like, I, I don't claim to, like, know a ton about Middle Eastern politics in general. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more on the, the resettlement movement? Um, so these people who are moving to the West Bank and just throwing people out of their homes and then that spread to the cities – uh, the closest uh, analog I can think of for that is like um, an old one. Like I think of like Manifest Destiny or something like that. What are, what are the differences between maybe an American resettlement program and the Israeli one? Yeah, it's a good point. And Jake, to your point also just about the extension of just um, genocidal mentality that a lot of Americans share as well. You know, I mean, we're a nation, a settler colonial state that's founded on the expulsion and genocide of the native people. Um, it would be similar to like as if this was still going on today. Um, native peoples are just out of sight, out of mind. But you can see how that extension, um, you know, uh, basically spills over into a settler colonial state like Israel that its entire existence, the foundation of Zionism, is based on an artificial majority of a Jewish population. So, for example, in East Jerusalem, there's a demographic law that says that there has to be 70% Jews versus 30% Palestinian or Arabs. So what does that mean? That means that in order to maintain this artificial majority, it needs to be predicated on the ongoing ethnic cleansing of the indigenous peoples. 
the settlement movement, um, it is similar to like the Manifest Destiny here. Um, it's just so shocking now because we're allegedly like a civilized society and, and we should know better than to be doing this. But there is a, uh, a law in place that basically if you have ancestral or heritage that is Jude Judaism in any sense of the word, and you can prove that you have uh, Jewish heritage, you have the right to become an Israeli citizen. You can either move to Israel within 48, the 48 boundaries, or you can just move to an Arab village um, and just move in and, and either set up uh, an illegal like trailer I mean, all of this is illegal under international law, but there's even settlements that are illegal under Israeli law that you can go and just set up like a tractor trailer home and just immediately get provided military cover and like electrical support and power. Um, these are the extremist of the extremists. I mean, this is like the most extreme people. If you really want to go and fucking like move on top of a Palestinian village, you know, like in a, in a legal settlement, like that's that's you're pretty sociopathic you know because you really just want to like go and like torture the people and like make them want to leave um but a lot of people will just go and move to tel aviv or like you know there's hundreds of miles of like arid land that isn't even developed and doesn't have palestinian villages on it so you have to ask yourself why are you going and moving on top of a palestinian village you obviously want to torture and oppress the people who are living there already it's not about coexistence or, or living in peace but they want to paint the extremist settlers that we're talking about as the aberration, as something that is somehow different from Israeli society. And you will even see government officials sometimes condemn the extremists, like the ones who will go in mobs and actually like burn down Palestinian homes and kill people in mobs of groups like we're seeing now, like marauding gangs, chanting death to Arabs and expelling people from their homes. But as we're seeing as clear as day right now, this is spilling over to all of Israeli society. It's not just Jerusalem. It's not just the West Bank. And it's not just groups like the equivalent of the KKK there, this group called La Hava. It's actually just a lot of Israeli citizens in general. And, and this is within Israel proper. This is within neighborhoods like Haifa, where people are going and literally pulling people out of cars. Um, they have to scream, I'm not Arab, in order to not be beat to death. I've seen people lynched on camera. There's little girls that look like they're sorority girls holding Israeli flags, uh, like jumping up and down on like the ruins of an Arab business that they have just looted and, uh, you know, beating people with uh, Israeli flagpoles and stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty horrifying. And I think that sadly, it's become so pervasive because when you have to maintain a settler colonial state that that continues to ethnically cleanse people you have to indoctrinate yourself to a certain degree where it's so deep like the brainwashing is so so fucking deep that you have to think these people are subhuman in order for it to be okay for you to live there and participate in society which is why i think 95 percent of israeli citizens are probably zionists i would i would be shocked if it was a lower amount than that and, and if you're anti-zionist how could you live there how could you actually live in israel you know what i mean right. it's I, I the was, state of the zionist project I was, so that would be yeah. a bad decision i, I mean I, <laughs> i'm kind of curious about that because um i think what a lot of people don't understand because israel uses the uh defense of like well if you criticize israel you're criticizing jews um 
this conflate those two things, it creates an interesting question, which is like, you know, wait a minute. I know plenty of Jews in America who think Israel's bad. So is this actually just the government that we're talking about as opposed to the population or the populace or whatever? Or is it that, yes, the government has indoctrinated everyone who lives there so much? Like, are there dissenters within Israel or is that the situation where if you did think that you just wouldn't fucking live there? I think, I think, yeah. I mean, of course there are dissenters there. Like every time that Israel goes on an assault of Gaza or doing something like this, you'll see people protesting. It'll be a very small contingent of Israelis that protest. Um, when I was there and interviewing people, if you, I, I think that you watched the full video, Jake, of, uh, of just me having kind of man on the streets in West Jerusalem. And I spoke to someone who said, I'm a leftist. Being <laughs> God, a leftist no. is a slur. That is a slur in Israeli society, and I think the occupation is good, but mm. it needs to be more humane. Right. And I think oh, that really God. encompasses like a broader sect of society is like the liberal, the notion of of what it is to be a liberal Zionist. It's kind of like the whole fake woke shit here, where like Biden, you know, like you see the superficiality and the yeah. exploitation of identity politics and you think that you're woke without any having any sort of significant structural systemic change or policies that affect the material conditions of like the actual press populations in this country and that's exactly what it is there it's like window dressing where you can be like oh palestinians should be treated better no of course they shouldn't have equal rights because i am a liberal zionist which means i still believe in an explicitly jewish state that subjugates and, and denies basic democratic rights for the 5 million Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. But I still like, am a progressive. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm LGBTQ friendly. Tel Aviv is this hot spot for fucking the gay pride parade and da da da. And that's why you see people just pre put this fucking facade up time after time. And you see this reflected in polls across Israeli society as well. Like the shoot to kill order at the Gaza border, 95% of Israelis supported the onslaught, uh, the massacre in Gaza in 2014. 80-90% to 90 of people support the shoot to kill order. The vast majority support the ongoing occupation and on and on and on. And, and the anti-Zionists that I have spoken to and that I know do exist, they are repulsed. They flee. A lot of these people have access to go to other countries. They have passports. A lot of them are like European, you know, European roots or whatever. The the Israeli born ones, like my friend Ronnie Barkin, he's fucking out of there, man. I mean, it, it's not only because he can't stand being there. He's in danger. He's in danger of being there. My friends, David, um, David Sheen and Dan Cohen, too. Jewish people who were living in the West Bank, they got assaulted at a rally because they weren't wearing an Israeli, Israeli flag as a cape. Like, you have to be, like, so fucking hyper-nationalist. Because they just... weren't wearing an Israeli yes. flag as a cape? <laughs> yeah, they were like, where's your fucking flags, dude? And then they, like, they like basically threatened to beat their asses. Uh, and just one more point to drive this home. There was a soldier caught on camera a couple of years ago named Elor Azaria who disarmed a Palestinian guy who had a knife, allegedly. The guys on camera totally disarmed. They had totally stabilized the situation. And this soldier just went up and shot him in the skull and executed him. Plain as day. People were just milling around acting as if it was nothing. This caused a huge uproar, uproar not in Israeli society, but in the international community. So to put pressure on Israel, they felt like they had to do something. So they slapped this guy on the wrist, put him on house arrest. There was such an uproar and a backlash within Israeli society that this mild punishment was put on this Israeli soldier for killing who they called a terrorist. 
there was huge fucking rallies, 10,000 people strong in the streets of Tel Aviv chanting death to the Arabs, death to the leftists, death to the videographers, because they feel, and this is a phrase as well, that leftists are the AIDS and Arabs are the common cold. Unless you get rid of the AIDS, you cannot fulfill the extermination of Arabs because the leftists are the ones who are blocking you to do so. So it is actually fucking dangerous to be openly anti-Zionist and even to call yourself a leftist, even if you are a liberal Zionist there. Well, one of Wait, the things so we're, that I we're feel like AIDS, we've heard... <laughs> <laughs> we're AIDS or the cold? I got mixed up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, the history, too, because I feel like the uh, international left for the first, you know, 30, 40 years of Israel was sort of supportive because, like, Kibbutzim is, a, like, sort of a quasi-socialist idea. So people in, like, the U.S. would be like, oh, that sounds good. And then in, like, the early 80s, uh, some more information started coming out about what Israel was actually doing to the people they were occupying. Um, and now we have a situation where, like, and I've heard this a lot, that there really is no left, as you're saying, in, in Israel. There's, there's a right, there's a far right, and then there's just absolute maniacs. Uh, and, you know, you, something you hear a lot from American Israeli supporters is that, like, oh, yeah, I support Israel, but Netanyahu, he's a, he's a crank. Hey, right. Don't like him at all. I wish he would go. Um, and it seems kind of like a convenient thing, right? Because this is obviously predates Netanyahu by a lot. Uh, but he's not even the tip of the iceberg when it comes to uh, Israeli nationalists. Um, but now he's in a situation where I think he was uh, indicted on corruption charges and he keeps being able to postpone that and continues to use these sort of bombardments as an excuse and a reason to stay in power. Some people are saying, oh, it's looking like he might go, but that probably won't make any difference. If any, you know, is there a chance that things will even get worse for Palestinians under, under a different government? Yeah, I mean, you just hit it on the head right there. There is no opposition party that is valid. I mean, they have a couple token seats of like Arabs holding Knesset seats. Um, but yeah, I mean, the liberal left, quote unquote, political wing has been so fucking obsolete for so many decades now that this notion of a two state solution that is still touted, hilariously touted by U.S. politicians. Um, meanwhile, they condemn, you know, the liberals like in the Biden administration and the people running for the Democratic primary all condemned the right wing Netanyahu government because they couldn't explain away why there was such this such a tight partnership with the Trump administration. You know, why was it that Jared Kushner had a home in his fucking New York penthouse for Netanyahu when he came to town? Why is it that Netanyahu was running on re-election with giant banners of him shaking Trump's hand? Why is it that they were naming settlements after him? So the liberals like couldn't explain that. So they had to just pretend like, oh, Netanyahu's extreme, right? Just like Trump. Trump doesn't represent America. Right. Trump oh, is yeah. just this crazy extreme distortion of what America is. And in fact, it was fake news that made Trump one. And oh, no, Netanyahu is just totally uh, does not represent Israeli society. Well, in fact, it's the opposite. Netanyahu does, in fact, represent Israeli society. In fact, his contender in the election, his main opponent, Benny Gantz, in the last election was equally as genocidal. This was a guy who committed war crimes when he was like at the IDF. Every single Israeli citizen has to join the IDF mandatorily. I mean, this is a brainwashing and conditioning that we're talking about from birth. Segregated schools, um, you know, and 
yeah, I mean, just knowing that you are, you have to be okay with the situation in order to even live your life. But, um, but yeah, Netanyahu absolutely represents the true sense of Israeli society. And the only reason people want him out is because they're just fucking sick of him because he's been there for so fucking long. Yeah, and I mean, he probably can, is corrupt as hell. You can see like how, how effective the indoctrination is in that uh, person on the street segment you did those interviews because like i guess what was fascinating to me about that is that those are passive members of society those are not the people that are out when you just walk around tel Aviv or something and you just grab these like random college-aged kids and go hey what do you think of palestinians and they're just like well you know you have to exterminate them or whatever that's like <laughs> not someone who is uh you know actually you know maybe necessarily actively engaged in any way in, in doing that they're they're just um you know they believe the all the propaganda and stuff and it's like it was hilarious to watch because like one of those guys was wearing a sons of anarchy shirt that he like clearly grabbed off the rack at like some mall they're all walking around in, like an open-air mall and he's got like hot topic jewelry on it's a that is that is a, a person who does not even know who they are. You know, I mean, that's what that sort of <laughs> like signaling means. And so all it takes is just, just a, just a current, you know, to, to push people that are that passive in a direction. And if you have enough of them, there you go, you have a society and you have something as dumb as, you know, the way we, we, we believe the stuff that our own news sort of shoves down our throat or whatever. So, I mean, that combined with the political reality of, um, yeah, there it not being safe for there to be a left and for there being like, yeah, the just entirely, uh, cohesive right-wing government. Um, well, at least, yeah, no, people should, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I can't believe I'm about Anders. to, Anders, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but I can't believe I'm about to defend America, but I feel like if you did a similar man on the street thing here, like half the people would be like, I don't know, like, <laughs> not give- <laughs> like don't even know what's going yeah. on. They're like, Which oh, is- we're in the Middle East. <laughs> right. Which is honestly better than just being like diehard racist fanatic, you know? Well, uh, and I, like, I, we I don't asked, need yeah. those people. I don't know. Right. <laughs> well, I asked people to watch this segment because everyone who watches it is of course horrified as well you should be because these people are just openly espousing very casually genocide and ethnic cleansing knowing they're on fucking camera knowing they're talking to a u.s journalist that is going to put this on the internet yeah it's like it's like watching borat or something where you're like (laughs) are they seriously saying that into the camera (laughs) (laughs) yeah someone made a good point they're like if this were like some sort of dystopian sci-fi movie it would be like two on the nose like the writers would be like no 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 one would like laugh and be like we need to kill arabs <laughs> like no one would do that that's too crazy that one guy <laughs> says like you got a carpet bomb him. and then he goes eh like he shrugs afterwards <laughs> <laughs> after describing carpet bombing someone yeah, no, it's it's insane. I, yeah, watching the full video, people are like, oh, you just cherry pick these people. You probably spent hours and hours and just, you know, scourged through all these interviews and then just like compiled them to make people look the absolute worst. And it's like, actually, shockingly, no. We had just come from spending a month in the West Bank. We spoke to hundreds of Palestinians. No, no one said anything remotely close to this. It was just people saying we want to live in equality. We want peace and we want the occupation to end. Then we stepped foot in West Jerusalem for three hours. We were there in this open air mall, like you said, and we showed every single person that we talked to in the full video. Um, And everyone had that same kind of mentality. And it is very harrowing because this is, you know, this is what I hear from everyone who lives there long-term. This is a very commonplace attitude. 
Um, I think that Americans, you know, we like don't understand what our government is doing. A lot of people just have no fucking clue what the U.S. empire is doing around the world and all the people it's killing and stuff. And so, but the people who do somehow justify that as well. But like, this is like so much crazier because they can, they feel like they can rationalize this danger and threat and therefore this mentality of just like open genocidal bloodlust. And they think that Americans will commiserate with them. That's why they're just like, so they're just like, what? Like, yeah, we need to get rid of these fucking people. Let's carpet bomb them and then kill them. The thing about the American empire is this is all on wheels at this point. Like you don't need every guy at hot topic to be down with the Iraq war. You just do it while they're at hot topic. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Israel is like one thousandth of our size. They need all hands on deck for this. And they've done it. They they have like the complete cultural project completed, Uh, you know, that you have to join the military. Uh, If you're a leftist, you are literally chased out of the country by a mob for not wearing the right cape. The institutions are there, you know, Um, which is why my question for for what's happening this week is how much of this is direct like state programming and how much of this is like grassroots reactionary, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, crystal knocked type shit. Yeah. Well, um, the first mob that was coming out with in Sheikh Jarrah and pulling people out of their homes, this is a this was organized by a group called La Hava. And I'm sure a lot of these groups that are kind of, I mean, not kind of, that are just explicitly fascist do have state backing because you see this mentality reflected in not only Netanyahu, but with several other cabinet ministers and government officials that are just openly pledging to commit war crimes, saying we're going to level the Gaza Strip, we're going to put it on fire, we're going to take down, this is the first of many residential towers, like committing like mini 9-11s like every day across Gaza. But La Hava is basically the KKK um, they were the ones who started going out there. Um, and then it just became about the temple movement. Um, so all the people chanting in front of Al-Aqsa Mosque, they are part of a very religious extremist organization that wants to see the Al-Aqsa Mosque demolished and wants to replace it with a temple because they think it'll bring like their own, you know, the rapture and the second coming of Christ. This is why like a lot of Christian evangelicals want this too and support Israel here in the U.S., But then it became just way beyond that. I mean, it became a completely organic uprising across all of Israel. And that's what's so disturbing is that this is what we're told by Israeli society and the government is like the democracy, right? Like within Israel, Christian, Jews, Muslims, they all live together in peace and they all have a a democracy, right? This is why this big uproar about like that Saturday Night Live joke and all this stuff. It's like, no, like everyone's treated fairly. This is the only democracy in the Middle East. But that's why this is just exposes and unmasks that to such an extreme degree, because this is Israel. And you well, see everyone package. going, this is the package deal. And, and Arabs are actually now, you know, there's lynch mobs, there's people being pulled out of their cars and all this shit and being beaten to death. But Arabs are coming from all over the area to try to protect Palestinians in their homes because they're mm-hmm. all in fear of their lives right now. But this is, uh, this is the truth that they don't want you to see. This is what's sanitized to us from our U.S. media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just the, the democracy in the Middle East thing is such a perfect cover. Because what I keep thinking about is, like, even just on paper, without knowing very much about it, how do you sell your average American on blind support for Israel, which is a religious-themed state in the Middle East, and then pit them completely against Iran, which is right next to it and is a re- different religion-themed state, uh, supposedly, like, with the same operations and the difference is you tell them that they get to vote on it 
does it matter that whoever's in charge of this state that is uh, racial supremacy themed uh, does not really matter? No, but Americans fucking love voting. We're yeah. drunk on like yeah, right. <laughs> the dial in on your phone for the America's favorite singer kind of model. And, and if you just tell people they could do that, then who cares what happens after? And yeah, we're willing like brinksmanship and warfare, which is what's happening with Israel and Iran, which is like really a smokescreen, I think, because like if Israel nuked Iran, which they could, uh, it would just destroy also Israel. It would be terrible for the entire region. It would like fuck up Israeli lives for generations. Like they're not going to do that. The reason they're having this like thing is a distraction from what they're doing to Palestine. Yeah, I mean, to your point about uh, democracy, Alex, it's like that's it's such a flimsy pretense that still works. I think on American audiences because we uh, teach you know ourselves in school or children in school that democracy just means voting and if you have a crazy state like Israel where yeah like you're if you're like far enough left you're threatened to leave and things like that then that doesn't really function as democracy and so Americans can't understand democracy outside of this being just this basic rigid mathematical concept that's why we don't understand socialism because we don't understand that socialism is democracy extended to like reality you know and economics and things like that um and so it's just funny right now because no americans believe democracy is working here right now right (laughs) then to be like but they have it too right five five million palestinians don't have the right to vote that's what's so interesting is like they forget about the three million palestinians living in the west bank who literally just can't vote they just live under martial law so it's like well what the fuck are you even talking about when you say it's a democracy Right, the aesthetics are the same, right? It, it, the yeah. politicians kind of look similar. They speak English. They have, they have yep. the same brands in Israel, the same kind of uh, television format. So it looks like American democracy. It is just as, if not more, undemocratic. Uh, and it's, it's an apartheid state, which um, that's, I think, uh, a term that should be embraced by anybody who um, has a conscience, really. Um, but We're both uh, Under Armour states. <laughs> yeah, but ap- apartheid uh, it rubs people the wrong way. I think uh, because well, I mean, is as I mean that in a good way, right? Because people remember South Africa. That's most people's associations. Uh, but the defenders of Israel will say, "Oh no, 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 no! It's nothing like that. You can't say that." But when then when you get really down to it, it's like, "Oh well, because that was a race, and Palestinians are not are an ethnicity, not a race." Like it's a uh, no, it's a nonsense distinction. Um, but like, how uh, how do we push back against that? I guess when you, when and this goes for a lot of things where people try to hinge to some like really technical minor point. Um, how do we push back against that as as people who care about the Palestinians? Yeah, well, I mean, it's getting easier now because for so long Israel's been able to control the narrative, and like you said before. Uh, using that kind of socialist enclave of what, you know, Israel, the kibbutzes and all of those projects that were, that existed back in the day. Well, I think as time went on, fascism certainly took over and the right wing cemented their authority because you can't continue to brutally colonize other people without having that mentality. And so the peace process was really kind of has been a joke for a long time and there has been no feasibility for a two-state solution for quite some time and this is admitted by Israeli politicians um, I think that organizations like Human Rights Watch which 
in the past have been notorious for both sides in the issue and making it, oh, it's just a complicated battle of ideas and religions. And even they have finally come out with a conclusive report saying it has gone too far. This is absolutely the definition of apartheid. Right. Um, and we and can I believe they even that, said, right? Sorry to interrupt, but they, I believe mm-hmm. they even went back to the origins of Israel and said, like, this has been a racist state since its founding. Absolutely. And and you can see that even with uh, Ben-Gurion, who was the first prime minister of Israel, who was one of the founders of Israel. I mean, he said, we need to expel the Arabs and take their places. This has always been an openly colonizing force um, admitted by pretty much every leader of Israel. And it's just what they've done so successfully, you know, by putting the Jewish star on the flag and this disgusting kind of um, association with Judaism and trying to conflate Judaism with Zionism, which is just so horrifying because there's so many Jewish groups who have come out and said, we do not endorse apartheid. We do not agree with this. And and that's beautiful to see people walking off birthright and, and you know, Jewish voices for peace and um, all of those organizations saying, I do not stand next to this. This is This does not represent me as a Jew. Um, but their conflation with that and their weaponization of anti-Semitism has been so successful um, and the exploitation of the Holocaust for so many generations has been, which is horrifying. You know, and anti-Semitism is a huge threat and it's a huge threat in Europe. Uh, but the fact is that our government and neither does the Israeli government give a fuck about anti-Semitism because they're not doing anything about actual anti-Semitism. They continue to weaponize the notion of anti-Semitism to brutalize and subjugate Palestinians. It's just like shocking. Oh, like, yeah. Do you guys actually care about the rise of Nazism? But, but they've been able to successfully generate this narrative where if you criticize a state that is an apartheid state committing ethnic cleansing, you are a racist and a bigot. And so everyone has been running scared. Everyone in my, my journalistic colleagues for the longest time, you know that this is a third rail issue. You know that you just don't touch it. Even Matt Taibbi just told me the other, the other day that he said he was told, yeah, don't fucking go near the subject if you want to be successful in your career. Yeah, well, that's kind of an interesting uh, segue into something I thought we might talk about, which is like the discourse right now this week, because I've been a little surprised that I, you know, rolled over in bed and looked at my phone the other day and was like, oh, fucking people are actually like criticizing Israel in a way that uh, I don't really remember happening the last time stuff like this happened, maybe back in like 2017 or something when it reached a boiling point like this. And like, even um, to the extent that, you know, the squad, these people that were constantly fucking arguing with each other over whether they're doing the thing that we wanted them to do or not are doing something. And I noticed the other day that um, AOC came out and she gave Andrew Yang shit over what he said um, about Israel and how he, you know, he, he fucking didn't support Palestine and stuff like that. And then there was like some people that pushed back and said, well, she's not attacking, you know, Joe Biden, who actually has power here. This is just like a, a, a signal, you know, she's just like, uh, it's lip service or whatever. And then a few hours later, she came out and she said, hey, Joe Biden, this is fucking bullshit and you shouldn't be doing this. And then the goalposts kind of moved on ultra left Twitter to like, well, it's still just lip service because it's just talking and like whatever. And it's so whatever Twitter's fucking stupid like none of this really matters <laughs> but like but um I guess what I what I'm interested in is the third rail thing because it seems like maybe that's breaking a little bit if just even if you have just the squad talking about this stuff does that 
in some way trickle down to changing like it from a thing that is inconceivable to the average passive consumer of news walking around in America? Like, is this going to become a thing, you know, like the way with like the police stuff happened last year, all of a sudden you have like liberals that are, they're still liberals, but they're like a cab and you're like, cool, whatever, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a good point. I think that even, the squad aside, and I do give them major props, you know, the fact that we have a sitting Palestinian member of Congress is like a huge fucking thing, I think, because you cannot denounce her lived experience as a Palestinian who has experienced these things. And actually, she was uh, Israel almost didn't allow her to go into Palestine, a sitting fucking congresswoman. Um, Look at someone like Ilan Omar, who also has a a lived experience of being expelled violently from Somalia, another country that the U.S. is continuing to bomb and obliterate. So the fact that these people are there and speaking on behalf of Palestinians is something that's very huge. You even have Ayanna Presley, who was like a Warren supporter, coming and signing on to a piece of legislation proposed by Betty McCollum that is trying to condition aid to Israel in accordance with international law, something that shouldn't be controversial whatsoever. But APAC is a huge ass lobby. And it's not that APAC controls or dictates the US. No, quite the opposite. It's that even though APAC is a huge lobby, just like there's so many other big lobbies on the Hill, Israel is a very useful military proxy for the US empire. Biden has even said this a couple decades ago, he was on camera saying if Israel didn't exist, we would need to create it to serve our interests in the region because we use it for so many things in the Middle East as a, as a staging ground, as a battering ram for all of our operations. And we like to have Israel there, you know, um, to do whatever we want it to do. So it's just so disgusting that actual anti-Semites have like flipped this around and been like, oh no, Israel controls us. It's like, no, dude, we're fucking using Israel just like we use Colombia, which is called the Israel of Latin America to do all this shit there. Um, but to your point, I think it is hugely monumental. I think that, um, you know, basically saying, oh, they're not doing anything is wrong because anything that's said and done on behalf of Palestinians, especially inside of the political establishment within the confines of of D.C. is a huge thing. I mean, these people just kind of held this giant floor session where they were showing pictures of dead children and talking about this. And that is that is amazing. And Palestinians want to see politicians stand in solidarity with them. Yes, of course, they should all support the BDS movement. Yes, of course, that's the answer and the only thing that we can do to make apartheid fall. But I think this is a good step because they feel that it's untenable to be progressive except for Palestine. And all the liberals who want to maintain this kind of immunity to this this horrific thing that's going on, like they're fucking fake. We know the vast majority of politicians aren't social justice warriors. They don't give a shit about anything that has to do with human rights. Otherwise, they would be speaking out against all sorts of atrocities. The majority of them are just wanting to get into positions of power and they know how to toe the line and they know exactly how to do that. When it comes to the media, it's fucking crazy, man. I mean, the third rail thing is totally true. Um, there have been some breakthrough moments like, you know, l- a couple of years ago when Gaza was being bombed and the people in Starot Cinema, the ethnically cleansed village right outside of Gaza's border, the, it's called Starot Cinema because they sit there and watch bombs being dropped onto Gaza and eat popcorn and drink beer and have parties watching people get killed. Oh, I did that during the pandemic at a outdoor movie <laughs> theater. But we just watched um, Sweeney Todd. We didn't watch... <laughs> is people murder children. Well, people are murdered in Sweetie Todd. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but the CNN correspondent was like spit on. She was chased out of there and then she was fired for talking about it. Um, Mark Lamont Hill fired from corporate media for saying uh, Palestine is, uh, should be free from the river to the sea. Um, you see this time and again. I mean, MSNBC showed the map of that shrinking, you know, the shrinking Palestinian land, those four quadrants of the map. And they had to come on air the next day and be like, this map is fake. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like, they know how to keep their job, even if, you know, maybe in their personal lives, they they know what the truth is. They certainly know that they can't um, speak the truth. And it it is revolting. I mean, it's revolting to actually call yourself a journalist and let these atrocities go unchecked. Um, because they fucking know better, and and you, but but then it actually explains it better when you see people like the CNN uh, Jerusalem bureau chief. You know, she's cheering her family members joining the IDF. You know, posting Twitter photos of her niece joining the IDF and, a, and an IDF soldier on a cake and being like, "Yay!" Uh, the New York Times bureau chief lives in an ethnically cleansed Palestinian home and mounts operations from there for the bureau. Um, but yeah, I mean, even AP and Reuters, which are supposed to be these impartial news wires that then get editorialized from like, you know, Washington Post and New York Times and shit, even they just have fucking, it's always Palestinians died in this passive voice. Like, well, how did they fucking die? They just dropped dead from a heart attack. Like, yeah. I remember, yeah, like even this car ramming attack. Did you guys see that one where a car fucking barreled into two Palestinians from a settler? And the headline was like, car crashes and then Palestinians like hit it with rocks. It was like, really? Because to me, it looked like the fucking car rammed as a weapon and ran over two people and then a Palestinian hit it with a rock. The car <laughs> like, was using self-defense. It, yeah, right. Transformers a, situation. If a car ran over one of my friends, I would probably hit it with a rock. And I think that's yeah. probably justified. Yeah, it's the same shit they do with like cops here, you know, the officer involved shooting and all that stuff. Yep. Um, nothing new. We all know it from our own goddamn country um, the whole thing has like a real star wars episode one kind of rhyming thing with the police blue lives matter movement in america going on at least in terms of like the cultural backing for it and i am wondering why uh the the window the pol- politically acceptable options moved to the left this year as opposed to like 2017 in terms of like journalism journalists covering this and i'm wondering how much of that is just reflected after the George Floyd protest last year because there were massive conflagrations in the street here. So people know like where public sympathies are lying now with the Palestinians. I I don't know. It's kind of just to add on top of that. Like, I think there are some parallels between um, the coverage of like our own riots and stuff last year and kind of what's happening this week in that, like something I've been thinking about a lot while I've been reading about this is that, um, one thing they'll do is very cleverly frame it as like a just a two-sided thing. And you think about that versus what happened in the streets last summer between us and the cops and you go like, "Wait a minute. Did they probably like that that wasn't a two-sided thing. We live here and those people yeah. fucking occupy and fuck with us all day or whatever. This is the same sort of mystification that they use to sell it to people that, you know, hate us and like cops or whatever." Totally. No, I mean, that's a great point because the media constantly just says like, oh, it's clashes. Oh, it's skerfuffles. Oh, yeah, there's just two sides. Just can't get along. Ha ha ha. How crazy. And it's so complicated. Yes, we can't ever solve this conflict. Yeah, it's super complicated. Right. You know, you don't want to get into it. It's way too complicated. Uh, but yeah, no, it's actually really simple. It's actually one of the most clear cut issues in the fucking world. It's it's a colonization, right? There's an oppressor and an oppressed. And and 
there's one side doing the oppressing. <laughs> like, yeah, with like um, conservative news last year, you would see like um, honestly, it's like really similar. You'd see like videos of kids lighting up fireworks because this was all happening during the summer, and like there was all these extra fireworks laying around, and they'd be like, "Look at them! There, this is like." you know, they're launching rockets and they learned how to do this from some evil <laughs> company and stuff. And it's just this like insane non-reality that uh, still gets across and it sells itself to people. Um, well, let's talk a and little bit. It's also been like a longstanding solidarity movement between black Americans and indigenous Americans and, and Palestinians as well. Yeah, let's um, let's talk about another parallel, actually, that I, I was thinking about, which is that I, I'm not sure how true this is, so I'm curious if you know anything about this. I was reading um, that a lot of the people that are straight up rioting right now, and you know, in self defense and uh, in reaction to this, are kind of like it's like younger people, and you have like kind of these older, sort of more defeated Palestinians that are just like so scared they're like you know please don't leave the house and don't get involved in this but there's this natural reaction which is similar it's kind of similar to what you said so happened with like us and our resistance to the police last year and honestly historically like with anti-fascism i mean this is like to grab a weird example i was reading about the battle of cable street the other day in england similar generational divide and so for that reason there's um not um there's not like an organized political response I think as much as it's like organic, which is good and fine, I think. But, um, but I say that because they're, they're constantly trying to frame this as like, as, uh, a, a, a bad political organization, particularly Hamas being the boogeyman. That is the people that are behind literally every fucking stop sign that gets smashed and every window that gets broken or whatever. And it's all somehow rolled into them, you know, being evil and, and manipulating people or whatever. And clearly Hamas is the boogeyman. Like com clearly that's just a fucking scapegoat we're using to justify literally everything. I mean, you've seen it in like your documentary and stuff where like they just, they use clever editing to take like this woman who's a medic who's saying, I'm a human shield. Like and what she's saying is I literally like, trying to protect people by using my body, but they like reframe it and, and tell people like, this is woman's been indoctrinated by Hamas to be a human shield or whatever. <laughs> and like, you know, crazy. Right. So, so I guess what I'm getting at, like one of my big questions about all this, cause I don't know like the origins of Hamas. I don't know a lot of, I don't know a lot of shit. I'm a comedian. I have a podcast where I try to learn stuff, <laughs> uh, but what, what is the reality? Like how did Hamas come about our, you know, should we be sympathetic to them or um, is this something that just came out of like a power vacuum that is, uh, who, you know, whose fault is it? Is it good or bad? Does it matter? Would they continue to do this if there was no Hamas? You know, is it too useful of a tool? I don't know. What do you think about all that? Yeah, well, to the first part of your point, yeah, we're seeing a lot of youth in the streets right now. Um, it could be because, you know, the notion that existence is resistance for a lot of these older generations of Palestinians who lived through the first and second intifadas and the violent suppression and crackdown on those resistance movements. And they know that they just need to stay in the home. And that is their resistance is just existing as Palestinians against a culture, against a people, I'm sorry, that is trying to exterminate their culture. Um, so we're seeing a lot of young people. And then in Gaza, it's important to keep in reference that 50% of people who live in Gaza are children. They literally are kids. 75% of them are refugees that were ethnically cleansed uh, from villages just right side of the, out of their border. And everything within Gaza is controlled by the Israeli military. 
or the hostile Egyptian military that are collaborators with the Israeli military. If you commit a crime, if you do something that Israel doesn't like and you're put in Israeli military jail and then you eventually get deported into Gaza, like that is your like eternal punishment is that you're now just this caged refugee that's just stuck in Gaza. So um, Gaza was under occupation, just like the West Bank is now. There was brutal settler terrorism. There was brutal Israeli military occupation. There were dozens of Israeli military outposts that uh, that oppressed people, you know, subjected them to humiliating checkpoints and stuff like that, just like the West Bank is today. And of course, they were also under Israeli military law. Um, there were also tons of settlers living there, just exactly like it was in the West Bank. So this happened in 1967 there was a massive military offensive where Israel seized the West Bank and Gaza and put them under this Israeli military control. And so from 1967 to 2005 or so, um, that's how long they were occupying Gaza. And the only resistance faction that was armed was Hamas. Uh, Hamas was revered in the community because it supplied a lot of resources uh, and was able to help Palestinians in general. They succeeded in driving the Israelis out um, in 2005, and the Israelis actually had to withdraw. They did not want to give up Gaza. They did not want to give up Gaza, but because the resistance was so high and Hamas was really generating that, um, they, they were forced to leave. And the settlers were actually had to be carried out of their homes because they refused to like leave these settlements because they wanted to conquer Gaza, of course. So when they left in 2005, um, the prestige was very high for Hamas because people respected that they were the only ones actually fighting their colonial uh, occupiers. And so people liked Hamas. I mean, Hamas, the co-founder of Hamas, made, it, made very clear. He said, we are not committing terrorism. We are committing acts of resistance against our occupiers. And we use every means necessary, including guns. Um, the next year that this, after the Israeli military left, uh, there was an election. Now, there was a rival party called Fatah, that was largely seen as collaborators with the Israeli military. And you can argue, make a good case that they were in fact collaborating with the Israeli military because once this election happened, the first democratic election in Gaza, they knew that Hamas had a high potential of winning and they actually asked the Israeli government for air support to help them like drive Hamas out and actually potentially use weapons against them so then they could cement their control over the Gaza Strip. This was actually revealed in a, in a WikiLeaks cable that the Israeli military chief said, no, we want Hamas to win. We want Hamas to win the election because when Hamas wins the election, we can regard everything in Gaza, every man, woman and child, a hostile entity. And so this was all revealed in WikiLeaks cables, which, of course, just reiterates how completely important something like WikiLeaks is because we would never know that this happened. Um, but then, of course, Hamas won, as we know, in 2006 in their first election. And that from that point forward, Israel has had a blanket excuse to carpet bomb this caged population whenever they want to under the pretense that Hamas is a terrorist group um, and everything in Gaza is affiliated with Hamas because they elected Hamas. It would be like someone carpet bombing the U.S. and being like, well, you guys elected Trump, you know, um, and it's just absolutely disgusting. But I think another point that's really important is even though Hamas is the governing entity and they, you know, they control civil society in terms of like transportation and the electricity, which is only a couple hours a day, there's no potable water and stuff like that, but they are the governing body. They, they supply the healthcare and things like that. 
there are several other political organizations. It's not a homogenous unit of control in Gaza. There's Fatah members still there. There's also more conservative members, uh, part of another organization called Islamic Jihad that also engages in resistance acts, armed resistance, and they collaborate sometimes together to launch rockets or whatnot. And then there's also the PFLP. This is a communist group that also does this sometimes. Um, so there's there's communists in Gaza. It's not just a crazy right-wing militarist society that hates women and subjugates people. It's actually a, a melting pot. It's a di very diverse mosaic of people who are involved in numerous political groups with numerous political affiliations, just like en anywhere in the world. And um, that's the way it is. So it's it's cartoonishly painted and depicted by Israel as a terrorist organization and, and dehumanized to the point where people somehow accept that they use, quote unquote, civilians as human shields, when in reality, Israel targets civilian infrastructure and human beings and then just can paint them like, well, they're just all Hamas targets because Hamas, you know, Hamas media building is on the same block or the Hamas bus stop is right there. It's like, well, yeah, fucking everything is ties to Hamas because Hamas is the government. Right. Uh, yeah. um, hypothetically, if someone wanted to join that communist faction, how would they go about that? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Wait. Good question. Fucking hit him up. I'm sure are they you? have a fucking social media presence. <laughs> Anders, right. are you thinking about yeah. doing something? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, what are, you, what are you getting at, man? Uh, you'll have to subscribe. People will have to subscribe to the Patreon to, okay. to figure that out. Um, but I get, I'm a solutions guy, right? We're all solutions mm -hmm. people. Uh, a, I'm a solutions a, guy as well. It's a weird word I'm a problems girl. I'm a problems girl. <laughs> That's um, one thing I cannot abide. Well, one problem is, as you're saying, this, this two-state solution narrative. And I actually had a chance to interview Norman Finkelstein a year ago. about, And I asked him about this because at the time, Peter Beiner had just come out and said, hey, we want, I want one state. And it, granted, his was a little different from traditionally what people in BDS talk about. But his response was basically like that this is all academic at this point, you know, and like uh, – the, the law says two states. And so, like, we have to <laughs> focus on the, the two states. And, like, I don't, you know, want to accept that on the one hand. But I guess I'm still not clear on, like, by what mechanism. I guess for, for both. By what mechanism would a two-state solution ever come about? And why is that probably not uh, feasible or going to happen? And by what mechanism would a, a one-state solution, would, would the end to a full uh, Palestinian rights, um, being able to have a democracy and a majority. How, how could that happen? All right. So it's a great question. And, you know, I used to kind of have a hope for the two state solution until I went to the West Bank myself and saw just how atomized and taken over these little strips of land were that is allegedly supposed to be the future Palestinian state. I mean, it's totally taken over by illegal settlements. It's comprised of like three different military areas of control that you have to actually go through checkpoints to get from one Palestinian area to the next. It would be impossible. It wouldn't even make sense if that were made into a Palestinian state because there's no state to be had. That's why you have entities like Hamas um, that, you know, are painted as this genocidal entity that wants to exterminate Jews and wipe Israel off the map when really in their charter, they not only denounce anti-Semitism and the conflation of Judaism with Zionism, but they also say we are willing to accept a two-state solution within the 1967 borders, which means withdrawing settlements 
1967 levels. Um, that's actually what Bernie Sanders was saying during the Democratic primary, amazingly enough. He was saying he wanted to condition aid until settlements were withdrawn, illegal settlements, and that Palestinians you know, were able to maintain their, their homes from those borders. So Hamas is definitely not, um, you know, not as crazy as people like to think. Like, they actually have a pretty reasonable stance, way more reasonable than Israeli government officials do. They've pledged for years that they want to annex the entire West Bank, and they have no hope for a future Palestinian state. So I'm not going to, I don't want to go out there and say, this is what I think should happen. But I will say that, um, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of Palestinians. Like, I'm sure a lot of Palestinians would accept that. They would accept a 1967 Palestinian state with those borders. But um, I do know a lot of Palestinians who also think that one state is really the only solution at this point. And that is because of what I was talking about, this this sheer atomization and, and the demolishing of, of all the land that should be the future Palestinian state. So a, a one state solution would really be easy. It would just be removing this label of this uh, supremacist nation and just having completely equal rights for everyone, lifting the occupation, having people completely coexist and live in peace. Um, Americans, I think that they are under the presumption that there are like two states and that they're just constantly warring with each other. If they knew the brutality and reality of the actual Israeli military occupation and the medieval siege on Gaza, I think they would be appalled. And especially if they knew that our government was paying for it and the burden kind of sits on their shoulders. But even when Americans have been polled about this and they are explained the situation, the vast majority will say, well, yeah, of course they should have one person, one vote, right? Five million people shouldn't be without democratic rights. So I think it's just a matter of like understanding how far gone it is and and, you know, what does a democracy really look like? And it doesn't mean the expulsion of Jews. It doesn't mean the elimination of people who live there or or the ethnic cleansing of anyone. It just means that everyone can just coexist as it is right now and have democracy. And, you know, people will paint the BDS movement, which is something that I'm proudly part of. And in fact, I'm engaged in litigation against the state of Georgia because they have Georgia, as well as 30 other states in the U.S., have Israel loyalty pledges that you have to sign in order to work. You have to pledge to never boycott the state of Israel. And so I was given a contract that said this and I refused. And so I'm suing the state. And um, I encourage everyone to to do the same because we need these laws to be knocked down. But I think it shows you how scared they are of the BDS movement because they know this is what successfully... Yes. You have to support genocide to work at the Coca-Cola Museum? (laughs) That's not fair. If you've actually been to the Coca-Cola Museum, they actually, that you can tell just on the rides, the way they talk is very, very early Disney-esque, let's Mm, say. It's fucked up. I know, right? right? It's super surreal that this is what's happening, but it's because they're so scared of this movement. They're so scared of nonviolent, peaceful resistance that they have gone out of their way to criminalize peaceful activism in this country and solidarity with Palestinians, which is why they've passed these laws in the U.S. And which is why they're scared of this movement, because they know how South Africa apartheid fell. They know how Jim Crow apartheid fell in this country. And it was through peaceful boycotts, the Montgomery bus boycotts. All of these things are constitutionally protected First Amendment rights. It is our right to be able to do this and and we have to do this, in fact, um, in order to build international pressure. And that's really where the solution lies. Um, and I think that the time is coming because every time Israel goes on the offense, people, you know, the mass co- consciousness just spreads like wildfire. Um, but it is primarily 
And it needs to primarily come from this government, because as long as this government is providing complete political cover for Israel, it's going to be a long time coming before they hold themselves accountable. Um, and, I, and I think we've proven that there is little hope from within Israeli society to do that with their own government. And so it has to come from external pressure. And people, you know, will say, oh, the BDS movement doesn't want Israel to exist. No, well, not in its current form. It doesn't have the right to exist as an apartheid state. And no, we're not talking about sanctioning Israelis and denying them food like Israel does to Gaza residents. We're talking about culturally and politically isolating them from academia, from artistry. This is why we encourage artists to boycott playing in Israel or politicians and academics to boycott conferences there. And once they are more and more isolated, they will feel more and more pressure to do the right thing and adhere to international law. All, all the more reason not to watch that Wonder Woman movie that just came out a couple months ago. Uh, it's really yeah. bad. But Where's the Justice League stance on this? They have to excommunicate her. <laughs> they, yeah. they care about international law, or they have some unit. Well, they were formed in the wake of World yeah, War II, right? as we all know. And you know, right. um, let's see. It's unreal. Um, should we? Talk about this Barry Weiss thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap mean, it up. Talk about Barry fucking Weiss. I mean, I don't know really know what to say about this. Uh, I, I don't know anyone that's listening that probably doesn't already know that she's an idiot and she's you know indoctrinated with all this stuff. She wrote this piece about how she's like pregnant right now or something, and that somehow makes oh, her God. feel strongly about how Israel has a right to there's just all these cringe lines that are coming out of this piece that she wrote like about how um, she sort of admitted like yeah some people are going to get killed but that's just part of Zionism like Zionism is too important and yada 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 well it's funny she's talking about her her child that she's going to be birthing I guess or is it her partner's giving birth whatever I think it's her Uh, okay because in the video that Abby did uh, the person on street interviews there was this kid who was like like thirteen or something who said, "I am in the organization that, uh, <laughs> that discourages Jews from marrying Arabs." <laughs> it's like it's a very I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Barry has that mindset of like we got to preserve the mm. uh, the tribe. Um, which <laughs> imagine being in an organization like that, like yeah. spending your weekend nights just. <laughs> It's like a DSA <laughs> meeting, but evil. Right. <laughs> Why not just I'm, stay home? Yeah, because people get, <laughs> like, Americans get, like, oh, the, we used to have that here. Or maybe mm-hmm. there still does exist in some pockets. But, like, you'll get that's wrong with, like, you know, miscegenation laws and stuff. But yeah. they're, they're literally <laughs> doing the same thing. I mean, I don't know if they have the law or not. Is that is it a similar thing, like, with... Uh, Trevor Noah born a crime like are you allowed to fornicate with between Jews and Muslims and create babies is that a potential solution or are they going to crack down on that too I think it's a good point I forget I know that there was something in place that actually made it hard for Arabs and Jews to marry I don't know where it's at now but yeah there's definitely like KKK equivalents like just spending their fucking free time going and policing couples and stuff and being like oh now my friend David Sheen, he has a, he's married to an Ethiopian Jew, and she gets spit on constantly, and like just berated with slurs all the time when they go out together, and you know, yeah. and those are Jewish people, you know, it's like it is a white 
it's like white nationalist at its core. Yeah. That's why you have people like Richard Spencer, like, um, or I don't know, I've heard like, basically you see all these fucking maggot chuds, you know, who were like, called themselves anti-establishment, like all praising Israel and just becoming state stenographers for it all of a sudden. It's like, right. oh, I thought you guys were anti-war and anti-establishment. What happened? Um, but Barry Weiss is, is a joke. She spent her college years policing Palestinians, trying to rat out like Palestinian students and get professors in trouble for like sympathizing with Palestinians. I mean, she is just absolutely fucking horrible person because she paints herself as like this classical liberal, like a Dave Rubin type. I mean, she's the one who penned that intellectual dark web article from the New York Times (laughs) with, um, you know, the Sam Harris, Joe Rogan crowd, the Weinstein brothers. And then of course herself. And um, she also was funded by the Israeli government, an organization called Stand With Us. That is just a total propaganda arm of the Israeli government. She was happily accepting money from them to put out propaganda. And now she's painted as like this truth teller who just quit her job at New York Times to start this Substack so she could really, really just speak the truth, this firebrand, when really, I mean, she's just a total fucking shill. Um, And I just don't get the fascination with her, I guess. I, I get the shared hatred of her and the mockery but i don't i don't know how she like popped up and is such a prominent voice on the scene i guess because she's such a detestable figure but i'll never forget like she went on joe rogan right after i went on and and um talked about palestine and then stand with us which is an arm of the israeli government issued like thousands of letters to him trying to get him to denounce me and tried to get like an israeli government official on to debunk my discussion and then so he refused to do that but then barry weiss came on and did kind of the same thing where she basically just insinuated that I was anti-Semitic and that people who care disproportionately about Palestine, there must be some reason, right? Because why don't you care about the Uyghurs? Why don't you care about this? It's like, why why can't we care about all of it, Barry? But also, this is pretty fucking crazy, right? It was like she was admitting, like, this is crazy, but to care about it more than you do all these other things, like, you must hate Jews. Um, so, yeah, she's she's horrible. She's an absolutely horrible person, and I think that she's just a plant. Yeah, I mean, her whole bu- – it's and I do often one of the same things. Like, who is actually her fan base? Like, I don't get it. Uh, I guess it's – I feel like it's baby boomers, you know, like sort of moderate to conservative yeah. baby boomers who don't like where most millennials are going. Oh, here's a reasonable, rational millennial in their view. Um, but it is – like, she wrote this whole book called The New Anti-Semitism, which is a shame that it, because it has a really beautiful cover, but the book is horrendous. (laughs) Um, But basically the thing is, yeah, all criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic and it's this drum they keep banging. And, uh, you know, I I get where people sort of get the conclusion uh, that, well, the whole media is just in the tank for Israel. Everyone loves Israel here and they're just, Americans are brainwashed into being Zionist, and that is true to an extent, but I think a lot of it comes from the fact that the Israel lobby is so influential, and there are all these other organs who will do things like write a thousand letters to Joe Rogan, or you know, my my dad uh, used to work for NPR. He worked in classical music, so don't uh, blame him for the propaganda. Uh, but he would say that, like his friends, every time they said anything remotely critical of Israel, there would be same thing. Hundreds of phone calls, thousands of letters coming in. The same does not happen when you say, oh, Palestinians died. Maybe a couple letters from an organization or two. Uh, but it's become a, come a really effective way to shut down dissent. Because if you're someone like 
Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, you don't want to be seen as an anti-Semite, right? You're really you. We really actually care about that stuff as socialists and as anti-racist. Right. Th- this matters to us to not be anti-Semitic, and it's a perfect way to screw with and manipulate that. Uh, and it got to the point where I feel like in the UK, it wasn't even really about Israel. It was, I mean, it was, but it was also about all the other industries, you know, all the, the industry there and people who didn't want a socialist government. And they just, they hit this anti-Semitism drum and uh, the left was defensive because, you know, they don't want to be accused of this. We, we don't have a good that enough a answer disgrace. for it. Yeah. Well, it's let's- a disgrace what they did to Corbin. Let's uh, Disgusting. let's bring this to kind of a button on. Uh, I think this yeah. is probably a good way to sum this up because I think what we're talking about, honestly, like at the molecular level, is about power on in some way because um, I guess you know, also speaking of uh, speaking of Rogan um, and something that happened with his uh, opener. Often, this guy Tony Hinchcliffe this week, I guess I can't help but make this parallel because I think about this all the time in terms of all these stupid fucking arguments that we get into in our fucking scene, in our industry or whatever, about whether it's okay to, you know, say a racist joke or cancel somebody or whatever. Um, I think that what's common between what Israel's doing and what the police do here and what everyone in power historically has done is... This thing where you, and also why is Barry Weiss popular, right? Uh, is this thing where you sort of um, like frame the narrative of what's happening as you are a victim and the other person is actually the perpetrator. It's this weird inside out thing. And if you go back through like all war history and like war propaganda and stuff, it's always the country that is enacting domination on some other fucking state is like, they are coming to get us. This has to happen. If fucking, you know, Nazi Germany, I mean, it was, you know, the, the people that were indoctrinated in that shit were kind of conceiving of all these people that they were exterminating as like what like a threat you know people don't like to think of it that way we like to be think of this stuff as essentialistic and you know oh these people are people are just evil there's good and bad people or whatever but um i mean i guess the reason i draw this parallel with comedians is because i always fucking notice that like you know when uh on this guy i'm not gonna i'm not gonna drag us too far through this and you know get us into arguments online or whatever but it's everyone right now is arguing about this guy who um he just made some fucking, you know, racist, like, uh, Asian stereotype jokes about another, um, co- comedian and like, uh, and then the guy took a video of it and he got, he got, you know, caught or whatever. And then people are arguing about it and it, they weren't even jokes. They were just racial slurs. I'll go as yeah. far as to say he's, he was working <laughs> off a of presence and energy and it's like, I know what he was doing is he was inverting the energy. Oh, we just had a whole woke set. I'm going to turn it the other way and that's the fucking bit, right? And I'm sure it was funny, like, to the people in the room, but the thing is, like, it's still, if, you, if you're not cool with that guy, if you don't have his consent to do that, then what you are is you're making comedy out of a power dynamic, which is that you're white and he's fucking Chinese in America and uh, that's where the humor in that comes from. It's, it's mean humor, you know, and it only works if you have consent for the guy. But so this guy's been sort of like reframing this as, um, you know, the way we always do with this stuff is like, he's the victim of, of, you know, everyone's trying to get him now or whatever. But on, the, on a base level, like the way you sell this stuff is just, I'm actually the hero of this story. Someone is coming to get me, you know, um, the victim here, the person that is being sort of like punched at is actually punching 
back at me and you see this with like police who are like you know every police have this big victim complex in america where they're like everyone's they don't know how hard my job is and stuff and you know, the war on blue lives <laughs> yeah you know and i think with That's barry weiss board. you know the reason people probably like her is because like i know I've, i have dumb friends who i'm still friends with on social media who share her and all the fucking stupid pundits that are you know essentially similar to her and that they they trick liberals and stuff into thinking that they're good and it's just i think that they think that she's progressive on the basis of like i don't know like identity or something like that and and i don't know they just believe it they just believe her fucking bullshit i don't, I don't even know how to put a cap on this i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah i think it's like this the fetishism of of real of being realistic or reasonable you know this the idea of it mm -hmm. more so than the actual points themselves because she is fanatical uh but it but because she's pushing back against what's perceived to be an affront to their you know status or or often there are things that are, maybe people are accused of that uh are wrongful and there's someone actually speaking out against that it doesn't you know, they might not see the full picture behind what's um, motivating her. Yeah. Um, I think people get easily confused about this, but it's actually very simple. There's nothing bigoted about opposing race supremacy, whether it's white Americans here or white Jews in Israel. Uh, don't don't fall for the obvious ploy to make this about something else. But in another time or another place, this is obvious right. uh, ethnic cleansing. Yeah. And you guys, I'm so sorry. I got to go. But uh, oh, no thank worries. you so much for having me on. It was really fun. And please check out Gaza Fights for Freedom for free on YouTube. Go to GazaFightsForFreedom.com. Check out Media Roots Radio and Empire Files for all of our shit on Palestine. We've done so much work. And we now is the time, really. Like, we have to spread this information and get this consciousness spreading. Because we only have moments like this uh, you know it, it's rare it's few and far between that people even give a shit and are like ready to hear it and so that that's our job people who are who care you know who are anti-racist uh socialists and leftists we need to seize this opportunity and join these movements and you know push the truth forward so thank you so much for doing that i really appreciate you guys having me on yeah, yeah absolutely thank thanks for, for joining us we were i think we're done anyway so that's perfect all right well without further ado uh, see you around. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys. Peace. All right. All right. Let's do plugs. Um, uh, Alex, do you have anything? Yes, Jake. Uh, if, if you enjoyed this discourse on the uh, intricacies of the Middle East, you will love my Dragon Ball comedy podcast, <laughs> Ballin' Out Super, where we discuss Goku and his 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 is he a bad guy? You'll have to listen to find out. And that's balling out super. You can follow me on Twitter at Patak Jokes, and that's it for me, Jake. Anders, you got anything? At Anders Lee here on Twitter, Dursley One Instagram. Check out Redacted Tonight on YouTube and Portable.tv. Also, uh, anyone in the Middle East, please join the PFLP. <laughs> uh, they need your help and support. Uh, I'm trying to find a link, but they don't. They don't make it easier to. <laughs> join i guess uh they have a wikipedia page yeah i'm on al-qaeda's um, website and they do not let you just sign up there it's crazy it's, this is uh not al-qaeda i i will <laughs> i should clarify but uh if you're in america um please and in philadelphia specifically 
please do everything you can to keep Larry Krasner in office. It's looking it'll look it'll be close. There are thousands of Republicans in Philadelphia who have switched their registration because it's a closed primary who will likely be voting for his opponent who is going to change, you know, undo basically all the good stuff that Krasner has been able to do over the past uh three, four years. Um I've been watching this documentary uh Philly DA and it's really fascinating. All the the changes that have been able to make and the changes that like judges and other prosecutors just stand in the way of and just say no because of their small little egos. Um, so please do everything you can to get them reelected, donate, volunteer, and please, if you're in Philly, go out and vote. Uh, okay. So yeah, we have merch, big cartel website, uh, in the show notes and we have a Patreon if you're a new listener and you want to listen to bonus episodes and talk to us on Discord and stuff like that and hang out with our community um, oh I have a live show in New York at B, at the B Cafe a week from now next Friday the 21st I will put up stuff on Twitter about it uh, so you can find out where it is and when it is and stuff but that's fun, so if you're one of my enemies from the internet and you want to come try to kill me, it's at the B Cafe on the 21st in Manhattan. Um, Take my life, please! <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Um, it's intifaded. Uh, nice. <laughs>